We are live. Welcome to the Carl Vibe Show. This is my first ever live stream, bringing on a guest and talking about some fascinating topics. Today, I've got Augustus Britton today, and he is a very fascinating individual. He's a talented writer and artist, the modern-day yogi and philosopher with incredible views on life, meditation, and the true nature of reality. And he's published several books on all of those profound topics. Uh, I wanted to show some of those to you guys really quick. Um, for those of you that are watching, first of all, he has a fast-growing newsletter called Reality Now, where he showcases a lot of his different philosophies on life and meditative experiences and secrets and how he gets along in the world today in a modern technological society and dealing with all of its complications. If you're interested in that newsletter, uh, please go follow the link down in the description and subscribe to that. I would say it's well worth it. He's also published several books. Uh, first and foremost, one of the main ones that I've noticed, I've got this one coming in the mail today, A Life Worth Dying For, that he wrote with his brother, Eben Britton. And uh, it's very fascinating. I wanted to read this to you guys really quick, where it says, are you living a life worth dying for? Beautiful. What does this mean, a life worth dying for? And he goes on and on. And then Augustus's comments here, it's interesting to me because the way you're saying it feels more, uh, feels like a more physical perspective. I was thinking of it in a metaphysical perspective in terms of whether or not you are living a, worth, a life worth dying for. So very fascinating input on not just living a life worth uh, living, but also one that you're prepared to die for and that's worth dying for. He's also uh, published other books, How to Kill a White Man, Words on Awakening, and Generation Ass. Very fascinating philosophies. If you want to check those out, go snag those over on uh, Amazon. As soon as you can get your hands on them, I highly recommend it. And without further ado, I want to welcome Augustus Britton to the show. Welcome, my friend. It's glad to finally have you on here and to pick your brain and get your ideas on life. Um, before we get going, I wanted to... Uh, mention my uh, and bring up my condolences to you and your family. I know that your grandfather, Walter Smith Britton, uh, passed away this last week. Um, and I know that uh, my heart goes out to you and your family in this time and want to dedicate this show to him and those. Uh, my father passed away from dementia just uh, a couple of years ago and invoke their presence and mentorship as we go into this uh, conversation today. So Augustus, how are you doing, my friend? Wow. Beautiful. I'm great, man. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for having me on this um, inaugural episode. And, uh, you know, death is certainly part of this whole game. So, you know, whether it's a celebration or, um, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. Not that this is necessarily if, if it's something we want to talk about, but yeah, you know, Death in America is, uh, it feels like it's been put in this category where the only thing or the only quote unquote reasonable reaction is to mourn as opposed to celebrate, you know, to celebrate, you know, coming from a yogic perspective, yeah, death is okay. Death is, death is part of it. Right. So, right. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. It's all more information as to how, how I want to move forward. And, you know, that's a blessing to be able to live in that reality. I don't think a lot of people live in that reality. People could be hearing that and say, what are you talking about? Death is the worst thing ever. But, you know, so that's just a side note, but thank no, you. Definitely not a side note. I think uh, the death of my father uh, he died of dementia. And, and one of the difficult things for me was realizing like the nature of his consciousness and perception of reality kind of slipped and was gone into another realm, maybe even a year, year and a half before he physically died. Mm -hmm. And not only was that horrifying for me, but it also uh, made me kind of face the fact that when I, when I die, if my consciousness persists after death, after the physical body drops, how do I move about? How do I control that experience? Or how do I know where I am? Sort of like being finding yourself in a dream or a spiritual realm or other dimension. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't have a physical body or eyes or ears and you're sort of a spirit or ghost or whatever you believe, 
it's kind of a mystery and unknown. And the closest you can come, I think, in this life to understanding that and becoming lucid to that experience and being able to uh, experience life after uh, in a in a better way is kind of comes in your conscious control and your lucid ability to meditate. And uh, if you're moving around at the speed of thought and emotions and you're uh, a mental and emotional wreck or, or haven't paid attention to yourself with mindfulness, that can be a difficult thing. And I think experiencing uh, deep and profound meditation is sort of a, a form of practicing that and preparing for that. Would you agree with that? Oh, certainly. You know, it's interesting. Somebody yesterday, actually, just yesterday, I was talking to one of my meditation teachers and he said, the enlightened person died for you. Hmm. The enlightened person died for you. And what I took from that um, is, are these, uh, oh, these are people. Comments. Yeah, I'm just featuring some comments down below. If we, <laughs> I was. Sure I was. Um, but meditation, I don't know. Could we say, you know, could we say yoga is a preparation for death? You know, mm. yoga, the definition of yoga is union, right? So we're, right. we're doing our yogic practice. And this is another thing in America, we, which is good. It, this is all good because more information, the better. And nobody, I don't think anybody should be expected to be fully aware of, you know, let's say something like yoga from the get-go. But in America, when we say yoga, right. we, we, we think of hatha yoga. Hatha is the postural yoga so you're just going into a studio and doing sun salutations and right triangle pose which is great and that's a you know every one of those postures is essentially a handshake with god but there's deeper dimensions of yoga so are we practicing yoga or meditation so one of the aspects of that of that practice is so, is so that we're more comfortable with whatever comes next because i mean a, a big aspect of the yoga science let's say you could say science or philosophy or practice is that when we die we don't come back again you know we've we've released all of the karmic baggage through our sadhana our yogic day our daily yogic practice that we don't get reincarnated right now what it now whatever that realm looks like after we die, if we if we don't get back on the wheel of life, the next reincarnation, I don't know what that looks like exactly. Um, you know, anybody's guess is as good as anybody else's. And I, I suppose, you know, there are yogis, of course, and mystics, and not just yogis, but that have had mystical experiences that have seen the afterlife, mm. I would imagine. And, you know, people have written about that. So... It's interesting, but you know, what is meditation to you, Carl? I mean, it's, it's, mm. to, and I'll just say for me, very simply, it's getting to the truth of the matter. It's getting to the silence of the matter. You know, it's our natural way. It's our natural vibration. So, and life can, can distract us from that very often. Definitely. So. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a paradox there where where we live in this universe of the all and the all is this vibrational experience that's both uh, phenomenal and physical at the same time. And we find ourselves seemingly in these bodies. And from the minute that you're born, you're given a, a name uh, and you're taught a language and this entire construct sort of puts you in a societal box or a maze or a labyrinth that you're spend the rest of your life usually defending. And this story plays on in your mind in English or in that language that you were taught and everything has a label so that when even any experience goes by uh, in your life, even if you see a bird fly by, uh, there's this commentary that says, oh, there's a bird inside your mind. And that sort of uh, cuts you off from that actual eternal 
vibrational essence or presence that actually exists behind that feeling like a, an individual. And, and I think for me, meditation sort of peels back those layers like an onion and you step out of that maze of the mind or that labyrinth and you go back to the void or to the space in between all of the everything that seemingly matters. And that's what boggles my mind is that when you think about the universe, we always think about the physical things in the universe and everything that we've identified and named. And meditation sort of puts me in the in the center of that uh, or the space in between all of that um, and allows me to become the witness or the observer of all of it instead of caught up in that story. And for me, the the yoga is uh, is a good example of that. So when you're doing a particular like a physical uh, like the exercise of yoga or hot yoga, you just get in a plank position and you realize that you can stay in the presence of now. And even when you clear your thoughts, there's constant change and an urge moving forward and a growth happening that you're hanging on to. And uh, meditation can kind of help you become a witness of that or experience things outside of that physical reality and help you, uh, prepare for death or the afterlife or, or witness your problems rather than get sucked into it, like getting drowned in the ocean. Yeah. Suddenly you have gills and can sit and breathe yeah. and, and sit in that turmoil and uh, know who you are. Uh, so that was, that brings up a good point. It's like when you approach meditation, Augustus, how, what do you typically do? What is your method to approach meditation? Cause for me, it's ongoing throughout the day. And then I have moments where I really realize I'm sort of lost in the day or the problems or ruminating in my mind. And then I'll intentionally get all my mystical things out and I'll burn incense and go and actually do a meditative practice. But I wanted to ask you, like, what is your approach to meditation or your, uh, what you're passionate about there? Yeah. I mean, first I want to say something about the label thing you brought up, which has been um, coming up for me. You know, I feel like labels and let's say, linguistic identifications are purely man-made you know that's purely human consciousness made and you know if we look in nature as far as i know nature as in animals trees whatever whatever it may be unless we get to a point where we start communicating with them directly and we know you know what they're thinking as far as i know no animals or trees look at something else and label it something i mean it's purely nature is a purely non-dual existence nature is a purely you're me i'm you we're coexisting humans when you know whatever the whatever the original psychologists were the 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 creators of different language however far back that goes you know these labels have been created and they kind of push us with each label and with with each and i say linguistic identification because like if i look at my dog my dog is identifying things all the time she's looking at the person at the gate making some sort of connection but she's not saying something out loud. You know, I like, for instance, if I say I have anxiety, well, what does that mean? Or if I say I'm depressed, well, what does that mean? Like in my true nature, none of that really exists. None of that exists in, in the natural world. The tree doesn't look at the grass and say, oh, that's grass. I'm an oak tree. You know, so I wanted to just, I just feel like that's a really interesting point and something that I think is worth disentangling within culture and within human consciousness, the amount of labels and linguistic identification that we have put upon ourselves. And we can see the symptoms and the ramifications of this in our world today how disconnected we are from each other because every new label creates less community to me. Right. It's good to, I feel like it's good because 
you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's really good at all. So I don't know if you want to talk about anything about that. But I mean, for me, meditation, I, I'm I'm with you that where I need to be in a meditative state all day, so to speak. I'm walking around consistently checking in, consistently, consistently breathing a certain way. You know, I could say I have a bit like my sort of traditional meditation practice would be sitting cross-legged and um, repeating a mantra. You know, mm. that's kind of my, like, if you want to say, you know, okay, he's meditating right now. That That's what I do, you know, create a space, have my cushion where I sit, invoke my mantra with my eyes closed um, and just l- purely listening and just following my breath. But other than that, I agree with you. Um, it's an ongoing practice throughout the day as we go on. So. Yeah, definitely. I think that you, we live in a society where, you you know, you go get in your car to go anywhere and the side of the road is cluttered with billboards and your subconscious is constantly attaching to those and auto- autonomously reading the billboards and filling your mind with that conversation. We have the radio on. Uh, listening to music and lyrics and those songs get stuck in a loop in our head. And then you go somewhere into the store and it's full of advertising and marketing and labels. And one of the things that occurred to me was the experience of just trying to release from all of that in a meditative sense. So as I'm going through the day, I see all those things. And as soon as I notice that I'm just on that hamster wheel again inside my mind, analyzing everything with this analytical overlay that society puts in there, uh, that it it was resulting in me not having any peace and calm within myself and constantly feeling bombarded. Uh, and, and then trying to let go of all that and walking through the store and walking through life uh, and not just attaching names and labels onto everything uh, was is really placing everything in a, from a point of view that has judgment upon it, where you're classifying everything and categorizing it into different classes and putting it all into different boxes, including your sense of self and who you are and what you think. And if that conversation inside your mind is full of labels that can become uh, negative or, or not uh, positive in your life, then you can get on a bad loop uh, and get going down a a negative path before you can step aside from that. And I totally agree with you is that the the labeling and naming everything was one of the first things that I discovered in letting go of that. And I I like that you mentioned the non-dual aspect. I personally gravitated into uh, the Advaita teachings and the non-dualistic types teachings of like Ramana Maharshi and some of these individuals where Uh, You kind of ask yourself that that sense of separation that you you feel like you have in reality when you meditate. For me, when I go deep with it, it can fall away where when you look up at the stars or look up at the clouds, you kind of realize that, you know, where does the seeing happen? Is it happening inside just me? Is it happening between me and the clouds or if without the sunlight shining from clear out in intergalactic space? across the solar system, I wouldn't even see the cloud. And so this experience of seeing and experiencing life and the sense of self is you are that experience and everything that you're witnessing is you and and you're it. And you have these teachings like from the Kabbalion that also reflect that, um, that uh, the all is in all and and you are it, you know, and, and it's, all interconnected with your consciousness. If you're not there witnessing it and experiencing it, uh, then it's not happening for you. And your life will only ever be what you're noticing and what you're paying attention to. And and a lot of times it just uh, gets so narrowed down into just that silver dollar side uh, space in front of you that feels it in focus and the rest is all blurry. And we're just convinced that we know it and this is me and I'm here. And meditation can help you peel that back. And and we've got a couple of really good questions here. Like uh, Rather Be Squidding says, I know that there's so many benefits to meditation, but it's something I have trouble making time for and prioritizing. Do either of you stick to a meditation schedule? I know you kind of mentioned already that meditation is kind of a daily uh, practice throughout the day. And it is for me too, a constant from the minute I wake up, 
my mind starts to go and say, oh, I've got all this stuff to do. And I immediately have to catch that, like grabbing the reins on the horse and pull that back and, right. and begin the meditative practice. And then uh, I'll find a spot outside or in my room or my office. And I'm surround myself with things that promote uh, the meditative cues and mindfulness. And I wear the, the chakra necklaces and burn incense. And I, and I kind of, surround myself in an entire environment and and friends that discuss the topic. So that um, monkey mind that's always going on uh, is kind of addicted and obsessed to the meditative experience. And he's kind of turned in on himself as his own guru. And so uh, that's the way I kind of approach it. But that's a great question. Do you have any kind of a schedule to keep you on track? Or do you have any other uh, tips for motivation to get started? You know, I've I've become more compassionate with myself in that it doesn't need to be perfect. First of all, it's just never going to happen. So, you know, I've done 20 minutes a day, like the transcendental meditation style, 20 minutes a day, twice a day in the morning and then later in the afternoon, uh, you know, consistently. But now when I'm, functioning from a meditative place throughout the day and the night i don't need to think that i have to have a certain schedule i think i think it's good to have a schedule but it's also it's not necessary you know it's interesting because i feel like this is the this is the most ass or the most the most made comment about meditation where people say i don't i don't have time it's such an it's such an interesting thing how that's always kind of brought up mm-hmm. you know so really really if you have the rec- if if you have the ability to recognize that you don't have time then you certainly have the ability to make time you know so even just 5 minutes just do 5 minutes it's so funny i was having a conversation with my brother about this. And, um, he used to say, and we, we talked about it on his podcast recently. He used to say to people, just do five minutes. Just, 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 if you can just sit down for five minutes, forget about setting the scene. If you're in the middle of Times square, if you're in the middle of a forest, if there's dogs barking, whatever the location is, it doesn't matter. But, And I would respond to him, you know, oh, come on, at least give them 20 minutes, at least give them, you know, that, you know, five minutes, what's that going to do? But five minutes is, can be profoundly impactful. And if you don't have five minutes to sit and close your eyes, you have a, you have a deeper problem. I mean, there's a deeper, (laughs) there's a deeper problem going on because I promise you have five minutes going on um, or, or five minutes available to you. And in terms of, you know, Alan Watts, I, I love Alan Watts's suggestion for getting into meditation, just purely listening, just listen, listen, yeah. listening and breathing is the fastest way into the meditative state. You don't need a mantra. You don't need, you don't need any of it. And also about, you know, you brought up the word judgment, Carl. I mean, that's a huge word. Don't judge it. Don't Mm -hmm. think, am I deep enough? Am I, you know, do I need to just get, how do I close my, close my eyes harder to get deeper? Just forget it. Those early meditations and even the later meditations are going to be so fraught and full of different stuff that it's okay no matter my meditation, my meditation teacher talks about no matter what the meditation is, you're evolving. No matter what it is, um, you know, well, the Dalai Lama, this person just said napping. The Dalai Lama talks about how napping is the greatest form of meditation. <laughs> so take the nap. I mean, yeah. napping isn't exactly meditation, but that's cool, man. Take the nap. 
I consider that a success. I'm trying to get a break from myself and from my day and my mind and what it's doing. And if I end up falling asleep and waking up, I'm like, wow, I went really deep with it. <laughs> and, but I think you're exactly right. I think you can, uh, oftentimes you, you just kind of hit a wall and that's when the best time to do it is. It's not necessarily when you've put a bunch of effort and thinking into the meditating, it, it can happen sort of spontaneously. Like I'll be sitting outside uh, just looking at my phone and then uh, all sorts of natural cues will occur. Like a hummingbird will zip by or stop for a second and leave. And I'll just let that moment be a cue to release that, uh, that overthinking and that overjudging or whatever stories playing on in my mind is it's almost like, all you can ever do is is think about the past from where you're at right now and sit and ruminate on it or sit and worry about the future from where you're at right now. And that conversation can build up like a, a static electricity in your mind or this energetic state where uh, it just feels like anxiety or overthinking and stress about just this story that's playing out in a language that you were taught when you were kids. And when you can drop the language and uh, I, I'll do these little tricks sometimes that, uh, like your brother said, uh, like it can just take a moment. And sometimes I'll, I'll sit there and I'll just cue my mind and, and think like I'm going to count from zero to one. And then I just never let the number one into the mind. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I feel like I'm experiencing that, uh, that kind of Zen state or that uh, flow state of consciousness where I'm just witnessing reality in, in a totally serene and peaceful state, then immediately my mind goes, it's working, you're doing it and starts to congratulate itself or, or uh, distractions will immediately come in. Uh, the kids will bang on the door, a dog will start barking and, mm -hmm. and you kind of have to make all of those different interruptions become part of your yoga and part yeah. of the experience of just like you trying yeah. to hold a position and, and, and the yoga of your life. And so every single thing, and, and sometimes I'll just go, oh, and I'll just hum and create this vibrational sense in my skull and in my voice and, and invoke my breathing in order to, yeah. to help that. So well, um, that's, you know, that's the thing. If you're trying to set the scene Perfect. The scene is never going to be set perfectly, hmm. but part of the practice is just being with whatever the scene is. And that's, that's the beautiful practice of meditation because when we meditate and I, I find it cool to like sit in meditations in different places, right? Because then, then you're just practicing medit of the meditative state wherever you are. So that's beautiful. I do want to say one thing about the napping though. Um, don't quote me on this, but I believe it's 8%. Meditating is 8% more rejuven rejuvenatory, I believe that's the word, than napping is. You know, there's something about, um, like on a neurochemical and biochemical level, there's something about being in that kind of liminal zone where you're not fully asleep. Um, yeah, yeah. When you're meditating, the the the, the bliss chemistry is 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 able to be ignited for for whatever reason. I'm sure there's reasons, um, but also like the practice of sitting in meditation as opposed to napping. You know, of course, we could say napping could become a practice in a way, but you know, being there with the mind while you're awake or in that liminal zone is a di is a much different experience than falling asleep as we yes. know i think it just needs to be noted that napping can be rejuvenative you know can rejuvenate you but it's not the same as meditation and you know for me coming from trauma, coming from chaos, coming from, you know, certain drug abuse, coming from relationship, you know, um, challenges, et cetera, et cetera, which I believe no human is immune to, you know, when we meditate, we get to get back to balance. We get to find that union 
within our mind and our heart that we wouldn't otherwise be able to practice while we're asleep. Definitely. Yeah, I think there's a space there that I've experienced as well with meditation. I've done uh, Bob Monroe's Gateway program and William Buhlman's Out of Body Experience program and completed those courses. And and I've discovered uh, through doing that and other types of meditation, like the Kala Chakra uh, initiation meditations and different things, I have, uh, you, you kind of discover that there's altered states of consciousness that you can enter or that you can become aware of that are different. We're so used to day-to-day just waking up and, and having your waking reality with your mind running all, over time, analyzing and trying to solve everything and seeking for answers and trying to fill in all the gaps and solve all the problems. And then we crash at the end of the day and hope to sleep and hope to release and get a break from all that. And maybe sometimes we enter a dreamscape uh, where we have like a, a dream experience, but we don't really identify with those dreams either. And we just wake up and repeat that cycle like a mindless uh, to the whole experience. But when when you get into the different levels of consciousness and, and meditation, uh, you can, there's these zones and layers in between where you go into this deep, relaxed state of mind and emotional state of being, or maybe do a, a sound bath meditation with the crystal bowls or, or auditory assistance or anything like that. Uh, and you kind of can fall into this space where you're in a, a visual realm that's open or different than normal reality. That's not a dream, uh, but you're completely lucid and aware. And it feels like it's uh, beyond just physical reality or the dreamscape where you can actually, like, for example, in the in the Monroe Institute Gateway Program, you build, you kind of create these environments inside your visual space that you can meditate and go into. And I have like, like what I call a, a, um, a an energy conversion box in there. So I'll go into like an, an imaginary room, everything that I'm struggling with, even my thoughts, I'll open this kind of mystical, magical box that's full of uh, God's energy or this powerful infinite energy. And I'll put all my problems and visualize putting them all in there and I'll close the lid and it sort of purifies everything for me. Or I I'll even crawl inside the box myself and let it cleanse me. And uh, you can also create uh, different imaginary, uh, like a room that you go into just to sit and meditate, even within yourself to have layers and layers of peace and serenity and, uh, that brings up another good question. I have a, another uh, co-host here I wanted to bring in here in a minute. Michael from the Singularity Lab just appeared down in there. We'll pop in here uh, yeah. with him to bring in some questions as well. But I wanted to ask you, Augustus, if you've in deep meditation, because I've had some very powerful experiences where I've found myself sort of standing in a realm, like a visionary place yeah. uh, that I wasn't necessarily imagining. I just discover myself standing in this visual forest or garden and my, like my father who's passed away or some sort of a being or entity will appear uh, and there will be sort of a, a communication or a, a message uh, conveyed or interaction or I'll get carried away into these magical places or have you had any sort of out-of-body experiences or encounters or mystical experiences while meditating beyond just the basic beginner practices that, that I think people could be really interested in? Right, right. I mean, I feel like I feel like life is just a life is just a constant, constant mystical experience of just bizarre, you know, one thing after another. You know, something I will say about that is the more I've meditated, the more I would, whether, whether I want to say it's from meditating, the more mindful I get, the more I practice the witness, the more I practice being functioning out of my intuitive heart, the more I get closer to the still small voice inside me, the more I, the more I strengthen my sense of self, the you know, these things called coincidences that, mm. that, or synchronicities or what people might call weird or crazy. Those things happen to me all the time. Right. Where I'll say something 
and then I'll go outside and it'll be in front of me. Or I'll say something and then I'll meet somebody and they'll have just read it. Something like that. You know, so for me, and I think the the easy answer to that is, oh, you're you're right on time. You're you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Um so you know, in turn and that to me is is uh, a mystical experience coming from the more mundane material concretized existence where those things aren't supposed to happen or if they do we just label it weird as opposed to the truth of the matter where we're all connected on this kind of third eye level which is just like the intuition um and then it's just constantly unfolding, you know? I mean, I've had deep experiences in my meditation, you know? But but see, also on that, Carl, I think there's a little bit of a slippery slope where we start practicing meditation and we just make it about that, where we just want to have the mystical experience as opposed to if the mystical, if the mystical experience comes, that's awesome. If it if the if the meditation is just sort of a disaster where it's just thought after thought after thought, that's awesome too. It's all evolution with inside me and more information to where I'm at right now. So Yeah, and it's kind of the paying attention to that for the first time and noticing it from a different yeah. perspective and position is the is the key. It's not necessarily what's going on in the forefront on the front of the screen. I want to take a second, bring a uh, Michael in here to the stream. Uh, Michael's from the Singularity Lab. He discusses a lot of profound uh, topics on his YouTube channel from the UFO UAP phenomenon to uh, singularity. And uh, uh, why don't you tell everybody a, a little bit about what you do, Michael, and introduce yourself. Oh my gosh. First of all, uh, great. To, thank you for having me, Carl. And great to meet you, Augustus. It was so funny. I was listening to you guys previously and I had the opportunity of interviewing your brother a little while back and I'm, and I'm listening to you and I'm going, Oh my God, they're like y'all's voices are so similar. I, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Um, but wonderful to meet you, Augustus. Thank yeah. you so much, uh, for, for allowing me to join you guys. So what I do over at the Singularity Lab is we really look at, uh, breaking technology, breaking science, um, breaking research into the brain. We really look deeply into quantum physics and try to figure out now that human beings are in this kind of weird mesh of, of, philosophy, um, you know, it, it entrenched in, in, in technological growth. How do we make sense of it? So many people in this world are depressed in this modern world and it's a world that we weren't, we weren't built for and our, and our brains aren't evolving quite as fast, uh, fast as our, as our world is. So I really appreciate the conversation about how you center yourself, how you bring it back to uh, a place of peace and center. So you can actually move in this world in a way that's uh, productive and, and makes you happy and um you know creates a creates a vibe a, as you would say carl yeah i'd be curious what do you guys think about this neuralink thing on the brain dude carl, you, have a, carl, you have a you have a big image of a floating brain on your intro and you just right. the, the neurological aspect michael i'm pretty i'm i i could say a lot about what the the ramifications of what Neuralink could do for us, but I'm curious what your guys' thoughts on it are. Michael, go ahead. This is okay. your. I'm like. I'm like. I'm like <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I had the pleasure of interviewing a gentleman, uh, Ryan Tanaka, uh, a couple weeks ago, and he it, he has a podcast called the Neur Neuropod, and he basically just tracks what what's going on with Neuralink. Um, and it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It has, you know, the opportunity that Neuralink has to take somebody who's quadriplegic and allow their brain to communicate with the lower half of their body so that they can walk again. That's very real. And it's very close. Um, the, the, my concern, uh, comes in as we start to, you know, develop AI and quantum computing, and we start to have our brains hooked up to these, you know, these extraordinary uh, technological systems. What do we become? Are we still human? Are we transhuman? Are we are we something new entirely? And how does that fit into our past, our present, and our future? And so, I find that I find the uh, I find Neuralink to be fascinating. I think there's huge potential. 
uh, an opportunity here, but I, I, I'm also, the reason I started the Singularity Lab because I wanted to talk about the ethics of these things and yes. how we move into the process of becoming cyborgs without losing our humanity. Okay. I agree. I th I think I worry just like I mentioned earlier about the billboards and the advertising. You go to Times Square and it's just nothing but marketing and advertising. And what kind of terrifies me about the Neuralink technology is all, even now all these apps and websites that we use and integrate into our day to day life are infiltrated with uh, you know reading our personality, listening to what we're doing, and and monitoring our behavior, and then trying to feedback in a loop, an overlay of marketing and product sales and trying to push you in a direction to uh, make your life about that product and identify with it. And what concerns me is the uh, how that could get integrated into the experience, like in order to get, uh, you know, a more affordable Neuralink connection, you know, you have to have the money or the connection or be able to pay your bills. And if that goes down, then are you going to get augmented reality pop-up ads in your experience of the user interface day to day of your waking reality? And is that going to infiltrate your dreams and subconscious where it's injecting these messages into you and overlaying your reality in an unnatural way. But then at the same time, as we create these things, uh, I can see the benefits for people like my, my father that struggled with, dementia, being able to reconnect. We, we walk around day to day with people that have pacemakers that help keep them alive and, and, and people who are in accidents and paralyzed and that could help them. And so, or epilepsy, for example. So it's kind of a, a paradox and a mixed bag for me, but yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts, Augustus, on that. You know, I mean, Michael brought up my, my concern, the ethics of it. I, you know, technology is cool. I'm not somebody that's anti-technology by enemy, any means. I mean, the, we're capable of doing this whole fascinating, profound thing right now because of technology. But, you know, the ethics, I've been playing with this thing of uh, technology council for a while. You know, why is there no entity in our public? You know, somebody... I, I know somebody that works for the WHO and they responded to me and said, oh, well, we have the, the I believe it's the WTO, like the World Trade Organization, which tracks different technological and cultural developments. But I don't feel like that's really doing what we're doing, you know, or, or doing, you know, what I'm considering where, why is there no cultural... Um, communication as to whether or not we want to implement a certain technology on a mass scale, you know, and as of now, we are separate from the technology. We were talking about the dual and the non-dual aspect. Thank God, so to speak, if you will, the, we still have a dual experience with technology, but what is that? Also these technologies, you know, Michael and Carl have been I was never asked if I wanted a new <laughs> iPhone. This was really just given to me. These things are just put in front of us. So ethically, something like Neuralink comes along, which is literally changing us, you know, on so many different levels and, and could potentially be entering our bodies. Could this be another situation where this technology is implemented we have no real say about whether or not we want it. And then suddenly, 30 years down the line, we have a chip in our brain. You know, right as of now, the iPhone, which is essentially God, information-wise, is separate from us. What happens if that's inside us? I mean, this is an interesting question. Could we reach the meditative state through Neuralink? Well, why would you want to reach the meditative state? You'd already have everything. I mean, what would matter at that point? So I think the ethics of it, that's just the crux of every, like that should be the essence of any technology moving forward. How is this ethically going to impact us? But like you said, like Carl said, you know, treating dementia, people being able to walk, but will it just stop there? You know, that feels very altruistic and, and beautiful to me, but is it going to stop there? That's yeah, that, 
not if it's being driven by capitalism and, and pure right. profit focus, right? I mean, that yeah. this is the problem that we have even with the, you know, even with social media, right? Because they give it to you for free, but then you become the product. And so when you think of things like Neuralink, you know, it's going to be expensive at first, it's going to be only for folks who are rich, but then somebody's going to come in as a C as a CMO or a CEO and say, well, why can't we just give these things away for free and then charge for advertising? Yes. And that's my fear because you're, you're, you've got, you know, millions of kids who are gamers, right? And they're going to be chomping at the bit to get their hands on this transcendental video game in, you know, biological uh, technological implant, and they're going to be willing to get that for free in exchange for for this advertising being plugged right into their brain. So that's that's the Black Mirror episode that I'm afraid of. Right, and we talked about that on the Unidentified Celebrity Review channel just yesterday, where it was, uh, we discussed the um, society and this technology is moving forward like an icebreaker ship. Uh, going through the ice, plowing ahead and trying to avoid hitting icebergs along the way with this big mission statement of accomplishment that it wants to achieve. And you have to wonder not only who's going to be able to afford and have access to the beneficial aspects of this technology that's coming out, but how many people are being left behind in the wake that still don't even have running water, don't have even electricity, let alone even a smartphone yet. And then here comes Neuralink, you know, <laughs> where people are actually cognitively integrating with technology and there's people still using flip phones. And it's something that you also have to think about, not just on our own generation, but our grandchildren or their children uh, will grow up and be raised in a world just like now we're given these identities right from birth and you're told this is who you are and everything and you try to live according to that. Well, they're going to grow up just with the, the assumption that Neuralink is a part of life and that when they're old enough, when they turn 16, just like a driver's license and they get to go get their chip or their parent, <laughs> you know, or their parents put one in them as a baby, you know, as a designer baby in order to track them. And then is mom and dad going to be able to see exactly where you are like your whole life and see what you're doing. And uh, it's a, a very fascinating topic where we're on the brink of this technological technological innovation and, and the software. And I don't think that we really know enough about consciousness and the nature of reality uh, or the way that we're viewing it uh, in order to integrate these things just directly into us as a, uh, and harness them into our consciousness. So it's a very slippery slope. Uh, it brings up a really good question. Yeah, I was, um, I just saw that recent thing about they were going to consider doing an Instagram for kids that seemed like it got vetoed, which I was really grateful for. But I mean, children and young young adults, teenagers, I mean, that's such a powerful aspect of it because, I mean, that's just, that's just amazing how the, the children are, are it, it's almost like we're lit, we're all living in different paradigms of technology depending on how old we are. And it's like the, the 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 future technology doesn't make sense for this age group, but the younger technology that's growing up closer to it is more willing to participate in it, even if that older generation thinks it's totally outlandish and absurd and dangerous. Um, yeah, so that's... So yeah, are you going to go the, get Neuralink, Michael? I am not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny. I spoke to a, a genomics expert recently about the uh, about the COVID vaccine, and I, you know, I'm I'm just like, I need to get out in the world. I need the vaccine. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to do it. Um, and she was like, Yeah, I waited till there were five million doses administered. I was like, The scientist waited till there were five million doses administered. Shit, I need to rethink my approach. Uh, here, so <laughs> I will I will probably wait till there are, are uh, quite a few uh, folks who have Neuralink before before I make a decision on that. But again, you know there are things that I think it's fascinating and amazing potentially for. Um, but but going back to this idea of it, one of the reasons that Elon Musk has been 
warning everyone to get about AI for a very long time. You brought up Augustus recently, uh, the iPhone in your pocket, how it's like a God, like we have cyborg powers because of this thing. I can't access any bit of information I want in any given moment because of this. If I won't leave the house without it, I feel like I left my arm at home. So it's pretty already almost there. And it, it, so when it's actually in the brain, when we actually have it connected to ourselves, uh, what what is that going to create? What what sort of what sort of world are we going to create? And so this idea of super intelligent AI potentially turning on us, the part of the philosophy and the mission statement behind Neuralink is if you can't beat them, join them. It's connect with the super intelligence. And so that's that's what we call transhumanism. That's what we call the singularity. And so the question is, how do we prepare ourselves? You know, I, I'm not sure we can stop it. Uh, Kevin said here, uh, uh, we know LSD, psilocybin, break down the brain regulation. As a result, we realize sensory inputs that are normally suppressed. So a psychedelic experience turns off my default mode network in my brain. That thing that you were talking about earlier, Carl, that just makes you go, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do that. Well, that shuts down. And then I have access to everything in my brain. And it can be an enlightening experience. And you can gather new data that you wouldn't otherwise have. And so I had one of those experiences in the last six months. And that experience brought the idea to me that there is no stopping this thing. The question is, what role are you going to play in laying the groundwork so that it's that we don't lose our humanity in the process? Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to become more and more important as individuals or that uh, that there are people like maybe us and Augustus so that that kind of uh, adopt these modern day roles as a yogi or guru that that kind of uh, look back to these ancient primitive methods that transcend the technology, uh, whether it be through uh, the uh, psilocybin or, or different medicines or different herbs and things like that, but even just the ancient mindsets, teachings, and practices that we can right. basically invoke in our life to uh, bring it back to the beginning and, and make sure that the technology as it moves forward is kind of ethically kept in check with this overarching nature of the soul and the human experience. Well, I mean, somebody that I listen, you know, that's inspired me quite a bit, of course, Terrence McKenna. And he was he was consistently bringing up the archaic revival. You know, how do we that was his phrase, you know, so there's something to be said. There's something ineffable to me to me to, be, you know, to be said about living naturally and like in the future. Like, I totally hear what you're saying, Michael, about, you know, get on the bus or you're going to get left behind. I mean, <laughs> you can see that with iPhones. Like, how can you how can you participate in this world? If you like email is on the iPhone, there's so much different publicity opportunities on the iPhone. Work comes through the iPhone. I mean, you have to really be um off the grid so to speak to not participate in this stuff so maybe how do we embrace it without losing our naturality or our humanity moving forward and that's why i think deeper conversations need to be had in the greater milieu of people as to whether or not we want to incorporate this thing into our lives which I don't feel like has been, ha there's been a, there's a. There's no discourse. Yes. Between the corporations creating these items and the people that are using them. hundred percent. That's a problem. That's a yep. huge problem. And that could get, that could get a lot crazier going forward. And that, and that wave is already going clear downstream and crashing against, against the shore to the point where even people like us and even having the conversation, trying to present these ideas and having this discussion, uh, you can't just do it up in the mountains in a cave in isolation and hope that people spiritually wander up there anymore. The right. world is moving so fast that now you have to integrate the technology even into the guru and mystical experience like we are even today trying to have this discussion right now. We're harnessing all this modern technology. We're using Google. We're using YouTube, all this software and, and everything and integrating it into the modern experience of trying to uh, share and hold on to these ancient teachings. And I kind of wanted to bring the conversation back 
full circle, then if that's the case, then let's maybe discuss that for a moment. What are what are you drawn to Augustus and Michael as far as when you look to the past? Is it Buddhism? Is it Hinduism? Is it uh, non-duality teachings? Is there any particular philosophy or ancient practice or teaching that you feel uh, really should emerge forward or that uh, is something that you're drawn to in your meditative practices? Go ahead, Michael. Well, I was going to say uh, the amazing Spider-Man is right here. Um, no, I, I, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Um, yeah. No, for me, it's Taoism. Um, I'm, I'm very interested in the flow, right? And it's this idea that religion can be very dogmatic and unchangeable. Um, whereas Taoism is in constant flow. It's in constant change. It's understanding the natural rhythms of nature and emulating those and following the path of least resistance that creates the most value for, for the, for the greatest amount of living creatures. And so that's, that's what I try to, that's what I try to fall back to when I'm, when it's not Spider-Man, it's, it's the Tao Te Ching. I got to correct you there, by the way, if you go a little bit earlier, the movie Teen Wolf, <laughs> Michael J. Fox's dad says that to him right before he plays basketball. <laughs> with great power oh, really? yeah <laughs> great power I, it was i was watching on tv all retro and it blew my mind i was like they totally took that from teen wolf i had no idea actually i'm pretty sure stanley came up with that before too. i think teen wolf jacked it from stanley oh, but we can debate that later I, hey we've got we've got a supercomputer that can tell us right now yeah. that's true what do, what do you think augustus so taoism that's definitely something that i uh read a lot about as well and the and the woo way being in that middle in the flow state uh like uh they talk about what about you augustus i mean i i'm into all of it one of my favorite quotes from the Tao is truth truth waits for eyes unclouded by longing Hmm. i love that um that's great man i'm just in i'm just into all of it i'm so not i'm so not like i'm here for this and not that like if you have some information to give me to to you know to blossom i'm i'm here for it i don't care what religion it's from i don't care what spiritual practice it's from it, it doesn't matter um you know but i want to say it's no accident to me that with as much technology as we have, we are still, we are now almost like that Kybalian thing, you know, the pendulum swings, like with as much technology as we have, we are also developing as much spirituality. Like there's no accident that cannabis is so relevant and has become legal now. And it's no accident that mushrooms are probably going to be legal very soon. There's no, it's no accident that God LSD is probably going to be legal very soon, you know, or that yoga is so relevant Um, because we need it. We need it. And I think there's a, there's so many opportunities to blend the tech, the technological aspects of living with the spiritual aspects of living and I believe people need it. You know, people are wanting, uh, you know, uh, you know, to balance the scales with as much tech tech stuff going on in their lives with the more meditative aspects. I mean, what do you I think, agree. About that, Michael? Uh, dude, <laughs> like hundred percent. Like, thank you, and I appreciate the fact that you're out here talking the you know to as many people in that in that realm because we need it we need to be more at peace because again you know the amount of depression the amount of uh mental illness that we see in this world is is just horrifying and so when i see it when i see john hopkins university taking you know coming 35 years after uh you know the war on drugs and starting to use psilocybin again to help people be able to rediscover their connection with with the eternal that I'm going, yes, finally, here we go. Because you look at like LSD, for example, LSD was what led us to develop SSRI drugs. Like depression drugs were invented because LSD taught us what mechanisms were at work in the brain. Mm -hmm. And so what happened with those SSRI drugs? We told people just take one pill a day and it'll fix you. Bullshit. Bullshit. Some people maybe like, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not a doctor. Some people, these drugs are very helpful for, but 
you know, having read um, uh, Chasing the Scream, amazing book about depression and connection. You know, you look at the rat experiment and how when you have uh, when you give cocaine to rats in a horrible environment, they'll just take, 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 take to, to the point of the killing themselves. When you give them a luxurious uh, you know, they can they can fuck all they want. They can they can, um, you know, eat all they want. They can play all they want. They they don't use the cocaine. Right. So we know environment and connection is the most important thing. Yet we live in this world where we don't have it. So like psilocybin can give people the, a connection to that eternal that they haven't had before. And it just takes one dose, <laughs> one dose. Right. I agree with that. And also, not only that, I think we're going to see this loop in technology as well, where we're so used to the analog controls where you have the phone in your pocket uh, and buttons to push and, and things to interact with. But as this technology comes forward or Neuralink comes forward, it, it might become a necessity to understand mindfulness and meditation to even control conscious controlled technology. And, and there might be something to where in order to uh, change what web page you want to look at in your mind, you have to understand these ancient teachings of meditation and have this uh, deep level of understanding within yourself to control your thoughts and emotions, or you're going to end up on the deep web just looking at porn all day. You know what I mean? If you don't control <laughs> your mind and consciousness, where are you going to end up with the, with that technology? And also nature has this way in the universe of balancing itself out in, in phenomenal and sometimes horrifying ways where uh, this ancient ways and teachings of mindfulness could return with a simple meteorite impact or a solar flare that EMPs us and wipes a lot of this technology out and forces society uh, to go back to these ancient ways and, and return to a heart-centered compassion uh, and, and neighborhood and community mindset. And all of this technology can just get stripped away like ripping a Band-Aid off. And I, I know that we've got to wrap this up soon, but I just wanted to hear you guys' final thoughts on on meditation or yoga and uh, uh, any any last words that you guys wanted to share with our audience before we go. I, I, one quick one um, before I go. I, I wanted to hit on your what you guys were saying about technology and ethics. And, and you know, Augustus, you brought up a really great point. There's no organization that's having these conversations about the ethics of technology. And Nick Bostrom, a Swedish-born uh, philosopher and physicist, wrote a really interesting paper called The Vulnerable Earth Hypothesis, Hypothesis, which ultimately is pointing to all of the ways we can, if technology is left unfettered, destroy our civilization. And this leads us back to the conversation we had yesterday in the Singularity Lab about the Great Filter. You know, is it possible that we are really close to exterminating ourselves? And if we don't get a handle on the ethics of technology, uh, you know, and create the conversation, we we don't know what's going to happen. So I completely agree with uh, with agree with you, Augustus. We need that. We need those conversations and those boards to to have them. Yeah, and you know, just for me, piggyback piggybacking off of that, how do we come? How do we become capable of having those conversations? You know, I think there's we can't expect people that aren't empathetic to be able to have those conversations. And to me, my belief in, in order to become empathetic enough to be able to hear all the different points, all the different views, I want Neuralink. I don't want Neuralink without saying you're wrong and I'm right. My belief is meditating, whatever that looks like to you, whether you sit down, repeat a mantra, go for a walk, whatever your meditative practice is, or you're just your spiritual practice, whether it's the Tao or the Bhagavad Gita or the Bible, whatever it is, getting closer to the truth, the empathetic truth, to where we can hear all the voices in at play without judging, without approaching it from it's us and them as opposed to we. So whatever I'm practicing where it can become we, because if it's not we, it's never going to work. We're never going to be able to hear each other. And that's just, I believe, an aspect of why the deterioration of culture can happen is if it's us versus them. 
I mean, we live in this absurd situation politically where there's literally a red and a blue team. Why, why are we <laughs> under this paradigm? It's ridiculous to me. You know, how do we come together? I know this is so, it's Beatles and cliche and 70s. I mean, we're still, we're still trying to figure it out. But maybe, like we've been saying, this the, the novel the, the knowledge is becoming more becoming more available, which is also a part of the double-edged sword of technology. We have this knowledge available now. So now what do we decide to do with it in order to come together and be able to communicate in a healthy way? Well said. Well said. Yeah, I appreciate both of you guys coming on the show today, sharing your thoughts. And uh, and thank you for correcting me, uh, Michael, about that show was on your channel on the Singularity Lab, uh, where we talked about uh, moving forward on the ship and leaving. Oh, that's right. Behind. It was yesterday. I, that was the yesterday. Live blend together, bro. <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> and I think uh, what we're all doing and trying to do, whether it be with where we're headed into future technology over on the Singularity Lab, or if you're delving into Augustus Britton's writings and books and his newsletter and subscribing to that, getting involved in these types of shows and trying to step outside of your normal day-to-day -day rat race that you experience that society just throws you in and you run on that hamster wheel is to try and step out of that, change your mind, meditate, and you'll realize very quickly that we're all one and we're all connected in that non-dual sense and and uh, need to face these issues and address these issues not only as a society and people but uh, but within ourselves and within our souls and a consciousness moving forward whether that be with the neural link implanted or whether you're going to stay primitive and try to stay outside of that so i want to thank you guys uh for joining up today and make sure and check out the links down in the description below where everybody was at any any final words guys Hey, man. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Carl. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Carl, for having me. Uh, Augustus, great to meet you, man. Um, yeah. If you guys want to follow the Singularity Lab, just pop over on YouTube, uh, the Singularity Lab, and then uh, you can find me on Twitter at Singularity Mike. But again, we need to have these conversations, both from a humanity perspective of, you know, how are we going to get to the point where we can actually have these conversations so that we get past the us versus them. And I know it's cliche and you brought that up, Augustus, like everyone, like we've been talking about this since the sixties and where have we gotten, where has it gotten us? And, and I think it, it's gotten us to, I mean, we're talking about it now, right? We're talking about it in 2021. So good, good on you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. We got to keep that conversation going and yeah, check out singularity Mike over on the singularity lab uh, and all over the place. Thanks Mike. Thanks for joining us. So Augustus, where can everybody find you on the internet and continue to follow your uh, yogi journey? Yeah, I mean, the main thing is uh, my newsletter. Uh, that's the thing I'm most excited and passionate about. It's called Reality Now. So if you go to realitynow.substack.com, you can subscribe for free or there's different tiers. There's like a $5 a month or a $40 for the year. I'm totally cool with subscribing for free i'm just building a community with my um with my writing on there so that's the main thing awesome yeah, yeah. check out augustus uh, everybody thank you guys for joining the show and uh we'll thank you guys for joining and your great comments and everything participating uh this is our first live stream over here on carl vibe augustus Britton. check him out down in the links below and online everywhere and we'll see you guys in the next one